You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. God bless you. We're going to dismiss all of our children. Amen. In our youth class tonight. Amen. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We'll have prayer at the end of service tonight. We have several special requests tonight, and we'll cover them in prayer at the end. Um, But we're getting into the Word tonight here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. How many are excited about what God is doing? Amen. The Lord's doing great things. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, I don't want to embarrass her, but we are so happy that we baptized Katie on Sunday night. Amen. Very great big hands. It was her birthday, so what better, what better time to do that than then? Amen. And uh, this Sunday, I'm believing God for some great things here at our Pentecost Sunday service. That's going to be bilingual. It's going to be great. And just let's just come expecting God to pour out His Spirit. Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, if you weren't here, I was just so moved by all of our children up here in the altars praying and seeking the Spirit of the Lord, the infilling of the Lord, just touching Amen. Heaven. And uh, there's there's nothing that is more important than that right there, than taking time. Amen. For people to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, And that can be a big thing. That can be an intimidating thing. And uh, uh, it requires grace and it requires patience and it requires love. And especially with uh, people that are tender-hearted, uh, young people, maybe even old people, whatever. Uh, most of you, contrary to what we would like to think, did not walk into the church the first time you walked out. You had everything figured out all together and everything right. But it took you a long time, uh, maybe some quicker than others, certain areas quicker than others. It took you a while before things start coming together. And uh, so that's what we do. That's what we do here in a Pentecostal service. That's what our church service has to be different. Our church culture has to be different. And I know we come through and we meet and we get into the Word and we sing and all that. But then when it comes time for prayer and the moving of the Spirit, uh, there is no schedule. Everything's suspended. And we let the Holy Ghost have His way. Amen. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. We'll put your hands together and thank the Lord tonight. Amen. 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 Now, I have been aggressive tonight. I have three pages of notes, which means I won't get through them all, but that's all right. And we are beginning here in a new chapter, a new segment of the outline. If they have the outline for us, uh, and they can put it up there. We are now, uh, for those that have been following along in an outline or writing down, taking notes, we are now at 
Uh, point C, questions concerning public worship. And this is going to be the next, uh, I don't know if they have that one. Point C, questions concerning public worship. Um, well, we do. we do have it. They're figuring it out. It's all right. And uh, the next few chapters, several chapters are going to be uh, under this, this topic together. And we're starting a new segment here, but it, there, there is a segue, there is a flow, there is a, a, a thought process as Paul is writing this. So here we go. Um, there's another one. The, okay, yeah. There you go. All right. All right. Good job. This is great. So here we go. This is our outline here, and it's going to take us through, I think there's three of these under questions concerning public worship, and we're going to look at these. Uh, and the reason why we're going to see different distinctives, uh, the word up there, the first segment says hair distinctives. Uh, others, others would classify it as proper worship, public worship, corporate worship, for when we're praying, when we're in the church. Then he goes to communion, the Lord's Supper, the gifts of the Spirit, charities, covering a lot of different things. But this is uh, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he was answering a specific issue of meat offered to idols. And we took a few weeks to get through those three chapters, and those chapters do have relevance to us today, even though it's meat offered to idols. Now, I said this last week, I'm not a news, a news uh, junkie anymore. I used to be, but I'm not a news junkie anymore. And so I'm not always aware of what's going on when I say things. And so I didn't say it because I knew the news or I was even prophesying what the news was going to be. I just said it. So if, uh, uh, yeah, if there's ever any correlation of what the Spirit's leading and the news or the events of the day, well, that's just take that as the Holy Ghost. So last week I was trying to s summarize the meat offered to idol, make it relevant, bring it applicable to us today. And I literally said, I said, now, if I'm going into a store and I'm just buying toothpaste, does everybody remember this? I just want to buy toothpaste. I'm just interested in buying toothpaste. I don't care about, I don't care about, you know, who's selling it, how backslidden they are, how carnal they are. I just want to buy toothpaste. But then I said, but if they start selling toothpaste that, you know, has the devil on it, or like they're promoting satanic themes on that. Was anybody here last week? Do you remember me saying that? Like, I ha okay, thank you. I'm not crazy. I'm not making this up. I was like, well, then I'm going to have a hard time maybe buying the toothpaste. Like, that's hard. So, would you know? <laughs> Some people out there think that, you know, the devil is a good marketing campaign. And satanic stuff is a good marketing campaign. And... Now, it leaves me in the quandary. I still, I just need toothpaste. And you need toothpaste, by the way. That's a good thing, you know. So, so we, we are living in a real situation where we're trying to navigate things. And there's times where I just, I just want toothpaste. I don't even know. I'm just walking into a store, and I'm not even concerned in, or, or even thinking about everything else. And so, yeah, I'm not telling you where to shop and where not to shop. 
But I do think that we have to be mindful, and this is what Paul was saying, you have to be mindful of what you do in public. You have to be mindful of what signals you're sending, of what things that you could be perceived as endorsing, tolerating, and accepting. And so he says, well, we, we know there's nothing. It's, it's just me. We know there's no idols. But Paul gave us this powerful principle of conscience. And he said, look, we know it's not a sin. But if your conscience thinks it's a sin and you're willing to go against your conscience, Paul says, then it becomes a sin, even though it's not a sin. So if you have a conscience and you're willing to go against your conscience, well, he says this, I think, is it in Romans where he says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. So it becomes a sin. So he talks about conscience sake, not only your conscience, but for somebody else's conscience sake. If somebody else's conscience thinks something is wrong, I don't want to offend their conscience, even though the issue isn't wrong. And so Paul is bringing this idea which really cramps our style in today's world of ain't nobody telling me what to do. <laughs> and I'm right before God. I know I'm right before God. It doesn't matter what they think. I don't care what they think. And Paul says, well, actually, no, that's not the right spirit. That's not the right attitude either. It does matter what other people think. So I think uh, with that being said, then Paul now comes to this segment of proper worship, or will, you will, or public worship. And he's now going to go into a really unique uh, passage talking about us as physical beings having uh, specific roles and reflections uh, that God created us to be, and how we live and what we do is a reflection on who we are and what God created us to be. So, so now this is where we're going in chapter 11. He's going to talk first. He's first going to address this idea of who you are as a person and what that means for you, how you were created, specifically male or female, and how you present yourself matters. He's going to talk about that. Then he goes from that to, he's going to segue into uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. And he's going to talk about, um, it even matters when you're partaking of the Lord's Supper. Don't be saying you're one thing and then living some way else and think you're just coming and you're, you're fooling everybody. Uh, why, you know... Uh, Bishop Morris Golder, one of my favorite sermons he preached was the interval in between. And he's talking about the dash on the tombstone. And he, he ends the sermon with this. Uh, it's so good. You got to you got to YouTube it or, or Google it or something. And he says, uh, you can't you can't live crooked and die straight. You can't live like a hellion and die like a saint. And he has this whole line of stuff that he goes through. It's just so good. So, so, so awesome. So moving. So true. And this is what Paul says. He says, you can't live like a hell. You know, then come in and pretend you're a saint because in doing so, you're basically drinking damnation under your soul. Because when you've convinced yourself 
that you can live however you want. And if you just dress the part, act the part, look the part, you've got everybody fooled. He said, you're already a lost cause because there's no conviction in your life. There's no authority in your life. It'd be better for you to let your sin be public and be known than it would for you to live like that. And then he's going to go through different things. So he's talking here about how our public presentation matters. Now we come to chapter 11 and the first part of chapter 11, if we can be totally candid and absolutely transparent and honest, this passage has been a passage of much confusion for many people, uh, especially in Christendom. It talks about a lot of different things. We'll see here, and I'm going to have I'm going to have Brother Ryan read for us in just a moment, verses two, all the way through sixteen, which is our segment here. And I don't know what verse if that outline is amended, but technically, verse number one: "Be you followers of me, even as I am of Christ." Uh, most believe is is the conclusion of the previous thought in what we would say is chapter 10. And so now verse 2 is the beginning. And from this, he's going to talk about ordinances. He's going to talk about men and women. He's going to talk about head and hair. He's going to talk about angels. And he's going to talk about customs. And there's some passages here where Paul doesn't appear to be absolutely clear or as we're reading, especially with translation, we're, we're left to think one thing, but then we have to back up and look at the big picture and then recognize, oh, no, this is the context and what he's talking about. And there's some reference here, like, for instance, when we get to verse 10, where he's talking about the angels, we're not, I, I, I don't believe that we are absolutely clear on the, the full realm of what he's talking about here, but we can say what we think it means, and we can absolutely say what it does not mean. And in some of these areas, there's been some crazy, uh, some crazy stuff that's been taken out of this and has been incorporated into the church whole at, at large. And then even within sort of uh, what we would say more Pentecostal circles as well. So, with that being said, we want to take time to walk through this methodically. I'll be aware of the time tonight, and I, w- I won't even try to get through this all because I would rather us handle the Word of God uh, right uh, than us to feel pressured to rush through this. So I'm gonna, we may slow down a little bit tonight as if you didn't think we were going slow already. Chapter 11, verse 2, if you could read along with us, if you have your Bible, this is a good place for you to see this. Mark it up for yourself. Read. I want you to read verse 2 through 16 because I want us to read this portion in its fullest context. And then we'll go back and we'll read it verse by verse and we'll go through it verse by verse. Read for me. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Okay, so I want you to circle verse 3 or make a note of verse 3 because 2 is the introduction and 3 is the foundation. Verse number 3 is what these 15 verses are all about. This is the heart of the matter. So now I know in our outline we called it hair distinctives, but really hair is, is the... Is, is not the main focus. 
It's more the symptom that testifies of the main focus here. He's really talking about what some would say, for lack of a better word, we could call headship, or I like this better, a divine series. There's a divine series here. I like that word. That's the word our our own Dr. Marvin Treese used. And this verse right here is the crux. So we'll come back to this, but read verse 3 again. Pay attention to what he's saying. Everything hinges on this. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. And the church said, Amen. 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 So this is, uh, this is an interesting passage of Scripture here that Paul brings in. And we can quickly go to uh, the issue of, of the head and hair, which Paul references constantly. And if we're not careful, we can miss, we can miss the point that Paul is making here about the headship and about the divine series of the divine order and, and, and literally get hung up just on the issue of the hair and miss the whole point that, that Paul is trying to establish uh, undergirding this. And that is the more important critical issue. Uh, for us to live things in certain practice, well, I guess there is, in a shallow sense, there is a, a positive thing if we just are living in obedience to what the Word of God says. But it is better when we understand what the Word of God is saying and why we're not doing something. Because then that becomes a holistic approach and not just an isolated, well, I do this, but I don't know why I do this. And we're understanding the whole approach. And I, I fear for us that uh, as human nature is, oftentimes our humanity can gravitate to the do's and the don'ts, and we can neglect the spirit behind the, the law, so to speak, or, uh, and, and law is the wrong word to use, but the commands, or 
In this place, in this instance, Paul uses the word ordinance. The ordinances here that are giving. So, so Paul begins this section in verse number 2. And he's going to praise them. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things. He's complimenting them. This is good. You have remembered me in all things. Uh, and this is, this is chapter 11, by the way, of which he has already issued a few scathing rebukes. And now he's complimenting them, how they've remembered him. They've called for his voice. He's speaking to them. Um, And so he's complimenting them. And then he says, and you keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And this is an interesting thing uh, that we see because it is testifying to the fact that the apostles, when they would go to church to church, and we see this in his epistles, in Paul's epistles, but when the other apostles would go from church to church, they would leave ordinances or commands. This is a very strong word. Now, that word has also been translated by many to mean traditions, but it's probably not traditions in in our modern context of traditions. For us today, a lot of times we, we have a negative connotation of traditions. Well, it's just tradition. We don't have to do this. It's not necessary. Uh, This is not exactly what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, I thank you for keeping the traditions. He's saying, no, I'm thanking you that you have kept the commands that I have given to you. We established you in the faith, and then I gave you a set of commands. And by and large, now there's things, obviously, they're, they're contesting and having arguments over in the church. But by and large, you are following these and obeying these, which testifies to us that the early church understood the idea of spiritual authority and that there were commands that were given. This was not the Wild West, let's say, so to speak, of Christianity at this time. And I think sometimes we can look back and church, uh, certain church ideologies and doctrines have uh, like, like uh, a thought more progressively, like, for instance, the Catholic Church believed that revelation was something that was coming more progressively and sort of building up. So back then they didn't really know everything. They didn't have anything figured out. And, and you know, the Bible's good, but we, we've added, we've figured it out and we know better and sort of, which is sort of gets, uh, you know, can, can be a little s- silly when people take it to the extreme. Um, but no, in fact, they were establishing churches and in those churches, they were implementing ordinances. They were implementing commands. There were, there were things that they had to abide by and they understood. Um, so this right here reference is testifying to that. This was not just Paul going around and laying hands on people in the street and they're getting the Holy Ghost, but they're still living however they want and, you know, whatever. No, they, there was structure. They were putting this and it's with that knowledge that Paul comes back with such a force of authority, if you will, or an expectation that, hey, this is, this is how it is. This is what the Word says. This is what God wants. And this is why we expect you to live this way. There was an expectation. Um, and so we're, we're, we're going to look on verse number 3. And he begins... But I would have you know. Now, this is taking the tone of what we would say today when we would answer somebody a question and we would say, yes, but. So there's a great, he's complimenting, this is really good. 
Thank you for keeping the ordinances, but I would have you know you're doing it all wrong or you're missing the point or there's some things that we've got to straighten out. There's some things we've got to get right. And this is critical and this is important. And so I want to give you a real, real, uh, the real big picture here is we're coming from chapter 10 into chapter 11 is Paul is addressing the matter of our public public life, if you will, our display and the connection that our, 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 that there's a spiritual connection with what we do publicly and how that matters. And so now he's coming and he's saying, look, you're doing good. You're keeping the ordinances, but there's some things you're missing out on. Here's something that's miss- you're missing out on. And now verse number three, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so now he gives us here this divine series that Dr. Treese uses. I like that phrase. He may not be the only one. So this is an issue that isn't based in local culture or custom or just a Jewish problem, right off the bat we see that Paul's appeals are higher, much higher and broader. So a lot of people would take chapter 11. In fact, certain liturgical churches don't even include chapter 11 in their scriptural readings throughout the year when they put all of that. They don't even know what to do with it, so they just totally wipe it out. So it's still in the Bible, but they don't. it's not even part of their reading. And the irony of that is that this is the chapter where Paul is addressing public worship. And yet churches that don't understand it, they'll take this chapter on public worship and they'll totally throw it out or dismiss it or not talk about it. And they'll reduce it. Here's what a lot of people say about chapter 11. Well, it was a local issue that he was dealing with Corinth. It was a cultural issue that he was dealing with in Corinth. Or it was a Jewish issue that he was dealing with in Corinth. Well, there are a lot of local and cultural and issue things that are playing into this. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those some. We'll talk about the Jewish women at that time were known to wear a veil. And yet Paul not one time in this passage of Scripture makes a reference or uses the wording there that would have been so easy for him to do so, which he would have known about. At this time, most of the prostitutes at the, at the Temple of Venus are known to... Uh, shave their heads. That was a common thing. And so they think it's a localized custom. There were other local local things. We'll talk about, probably not this week, but maybe next week, we'll talk about the island of Lesbo. If you've ever heard, never heard of the island of Lesbo, um, which was something that was very close to Corinth. And there's significance in that. And so, yes, that, that probably had some play into the sexual immorality that was going on. Um, You'd be surprised what common word we use today in our vocabulary that has its roots, that comes from the island of Lesbo. Um, But Paul is not talking about this. His appeal is not cultural. It's not local. It's not Jewish. It is much higher. He says, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So now Paul is making an appeal 
to the created divine order. This is something that God established. Now for us here, we have the benefit of having gone through Genesis chapter 1 through 11 for 23 weeks, I think it was. And we learned about this in the origin series parts. What parts were? I wrote it down. 6, 7, and 8. 6, 7, and 8. If you want to go back, we talked about this. And so Paul is making a direct appeal to how God created us. He created us male and he created us female. Now, when we come to the New Testament, there is neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, which means there is, there is absolute equality of status in redemption, in salvation, in value, in uh, uh, position in the church, in heaven. There's not a, a higher level for men or a higher level for females or a higher level. No, we're all, as my pastor used to say, we're all level at the foot of the cross. We all need the same repentance. We all need the same baptism. We all need the same Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. Yes. And but there is a distinction in roles, responsibilities, and representation. We could go on with that. But what is Paul saying here in chapter, in, in chapter 11, verse 3? Well, he uses the term head, quote, head. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Head. Now, there's, in its most literal sense... The word translated head literally means, surprise, the physical head of a body. But here in this scripture, we know that it is used metaphorically. So when it is used metaphorically, there is disagreement in how the metaphor is being used. Some believe that the metaphor means strictly authority and that it is implying a hierarchical structure that it is a tiered structure. God, Christ, man, woman. And some people argue that and they believe that. While others seem to understand the metaphor as meaning source or origin, which Paul also alludes, and he alludes to a little bit perhaps of both which I would probably mean to uh, or, or lean to an understanding as perhaps it is both. But the source or origin is that Christ comes from God, man comes from Christ, and woman comes from man. And so there is a source, and there is what Therese calls a divine series. That seems to match up with the whole of Scripture. And we will look at later on in the chapter, verses 11 and 12, Paul refutes that man is greater than woman because man is by the woman. So Paul lets us know, and he speaks about the issue of source, origin, where it's coming from. Now, a lot of your scholars will reject this concept of source because 
for those that ascribe to the tradition, and I'm going slow here for a purpose, those that prescribe to a traditional interpretation of the Trinity, which, which says that God is three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, there's a problem with saying that Christ comes from God. Because if God is this three-headed God, three-seated God, this triune God that's co-equal, co-eternal, but Christ comes from God, then Christ is less than God, and now you have a, a, a problem here uh, with that, and so they're sort of just saying it's hierarchy, which that's also confusing as well. But the source, we understand the one, as, oneness, as oneness people, we understand that God was in Christ, that God is the eternal, invisible, almighty God. And that invisible God became flesh, became visible. The unknowable God became knowable. The untouchable God became touchable. The invisible God became visible. And we behold the image as of the only begotten of the Father. He is of God. He is by God. He is, he is the offspring, the idea, everything about Christ comes from God. And so he's the fullness of Godhead bodily. God, and, and the basis of understanding the oneness of God is this, that God had a desire to reveal himself. And so he chose to reveal himself in the person of Christ Jesus. And that word person is only used once in the book of Hebrews, only ascribed to the, the uh, manifestation of, of God in Christ. That term person is never used of the Father and is never used of the Spirit in your Bible. And so Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He's of God. God chose to reveal himself. And when God chose to reveal himself... Well, there's a problem. You got to have somebody to reveal yourself to. Right? So you remember that verse that says, He is the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world? That means before God called the world into existence, God already had the plan of revelation and redemption established. Now, it had not yet come into being. It had not yet been spoken. But God is not bound by time like we're bound by time. Time still had to play out. In fact, God had to speak time into existence. I believe that time began when God determined that he was going to reveal, when he created. In the beginning, I believe that's also testifying to the witness of time. And when God chose to reveal himself... He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Um, he then has to create a world to reveal himself to. And in doing so, he creates us, and he has, to, he has to truly give us free will, okay, to be able to reveal himself so that we could actually choose him. We have to have the capacity to reject him. And it's as tragic as that is, to, in, in order for us to truly know who he is, we had to have that... Cognition, we had to have that capacity. 
to accept him, to love him, and to reject him. And so God created, so Christ is from God, and God created man. And we see that in the garden. He did not create man and woman at the same time. He clearly, there's a distinction. We don't, I don't know how long it was. We don't know the time factor. We don't know all the things. We don't know how all that plays out. But the text specifically lets us know that God creates man. He creates all of the other animals, male and female. I don't believe that uh, women were an afterthought. God's not that dumb. He would not have created male and female and every other living being and then get to man and say, oh, I, I missed something. God doesn't miss anything. But it all plays out for the purpose of his revelation. It all plays out for the purpose of us having understanding and role. And he created man, and there man is... And man has named all the beasts in the garden, right? He's, he's, he's named them all and he's there. But man was still missing something. And so God created woman from the side of man. And now, who created woman? God created woman. But he, he says, the text says, he took woman out of man. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is what Adam said. And he looked at her and called her woman. And so this is, he identified, there was a compassion, there was a compatibility that he saw there that he didn't see anywhere else. Now, I don't know, this is just my mind, this is just my thinking, I don't know that I can say this scripturally, but this was what God was looking for in humanity. He was looking for something that he could relate with in a way like no other. And so God created man because God wanted to reveal himself. So here's Adam and Adam's alone, but then God says, no, I'm going to create woman. So now woman is created for man, not man for the woman, which is a little telling. Men need a woman in their life. <laughs> Women don't need men as much. Nobody wants to say amen, but I mean, this, this is what the Bible says. <clears throat> so this is about an order, a series, a divine series that God is doing something here. And this is what Paul is saying. The head of every man is Christ. Where did you come from? Men, where did you come from? You came from Christ. What is Christ? Christ is the Logos, the revealed of God, the revelation of God. God wants to reveal himself, and in the step, he reveals himself in the person of Christ. He's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's already established that God's going to reveal himself. The Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I believe that's what John 1, 1 is testifying to. In the beginning, when time began, when did time begin? It began when the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's the Word? The Word is the Logos. It is the revealed of God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. That's Jesus Christ. 
So, so there was a time when Christ was not. That's why the traditional, tradi- traditional interpretation of the Trinity can't be right. Jesus isn't, hasn't always been. Because the Bible testifies what was before the beginning. Well, all that was before the beginning was God. Now, God has always been. But the revealing, the word, the logos, the revelation of God hasn't always begun. He's the only begotten, begotten. That very word begotten denotes a beginning. Now, he's, he's everlasting, right? And as God in Christ, he is the ancient of days. And we see him and we know that, but the person of Christ, the manifestation of Jesus Christ is not something that's always been. There was a beginning there in Christ. So Christ comes from God. Christ is a reflection of God. Where do we come from, men? We come from Christ, from the revealing of God. We come from the Word. We are a reflection of the Word. And where does woman come from? Woman comes from man. Woman is a reflection of man. So I give you a big sneak peek about this whole passage here. Men, you are a physical representation, direction of, of your head. Your head is a reflection of your head. And your head is Christ. Don't cover the glory of Christ. In public worship, when people look at you, all they should see is Christ. Fast forward to give you the whole basis, and we'll, we'll finish this out. I know we're running out of time tonight. Women, you are a representation of mankind, of man. In public worship, cover your head, because man does not get glory. Only God gets glory. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's what he's talking about here, the head, the head. And so that you're, he's going to talk about things dishonoring his head, honoring his head. So this is, this is an important thing that we understand this passage here in verse number three. Woman, women are not at the bottom of some tier. They are at the end of the series of creation. Without them, nothing continues. And Paul references that. Man is of the woman, by the woman, or man is not of the woman. Man is For as the woman is of man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. So in this series, you're a direct reflection of this progression here. This is what Paul is establishing. And Paul is jumping beyond any local custom, any tradition, any any, uh, uh, ethnic issue, uh, uh, Jewish religious practices, anything like that. And he's talking about headship here and how we conduct ourselves. So, the woman is a reflection on the man. A man is a reflection on Christ. And Christ, of course, is the perfect reflection of the invisible God. So, this is what is so critical here in this passage, that you understand this. I believe that it can mean both authority and origin because with that term of authority, I would denote responsibility as well. And there is a double symbolism here with the head, speaking here of the head, 
And the emphasis here is on distinction. So there is a distinction here, distinction of sexes. So read, if you will, verses 3, 5, or sorry, 4, 5, and 6. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Okay, let's stop there. So Paul has just said, every man, the head of every man is Christ. So your head, your physical head, literal head, is a representation of your head, of your source, of your origin. This is a natural thing that Paul is saying. And I know we live in a Western, we live in a modern Western culture, so some of this concept is so foreign from us. But you really shouldn't be shocked that it's so foreign because so is Genesis chapter 2 in our culture today. But Paul is saying, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. All right? So this is... Um, Okay, read verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Yes. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Yes. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Okay. So let me, let me uh, I've got uh, nine minutes here. This passage, and this is an important thing for you to note, this passage is set on not only the divine series, but then the takeaway from that divine series, man, God, Christ, man, woman, invisible God, visible God, made visible, man and woman, and and, and these roles play out elsewhere, many places in Scripture. But this passage, not only being established on the divine series, is also set on the distinction of roles roles between the sexes in both life and the church. So there is a great emphasis that Paul is placing here on the distinction of sexes in the world and the church. The big takeaway here, as you're going to see, is that distinction of sexes matter. Therefore, your public presentation matters. This is really, really, really important to Paul and the early church. This was so important to Paul and the early church. And you say, well... They lived in a different time. It doesn't have any relativity to us. Well, actually, if you go back and you look at how Corinth was, yeah, it looks a whole lot like 2023 without smartphones. Their morals and their entertainment was very similar. So distinction of sexes matter. Therefore, your public presentations matter. Why? Because how we interact with one another matters. Let me pause there for a moment here. I, I, I want to just, I, I'm not going to hasten through this too much. This is very, very important. We've heard it taught, especially in apostolic churches, that distinction of sexes matter, but we don't always talk about why distinction of sexes matter. And so what can happen is in the church, 
We just, we're following that, but we don't understand why. The reason why distinction of the sexes matter is because you have a representation. Somebody else is seeing you, and what you represent, what you put out, what you are allowing to be seen is important. Why does distinction of the sexes matter? Well, one reason why it matters is because how we interact with one another matters. How a woman interacts with a woman matters. How a man interacts with a man matters. How a man interacts with a woman matters. And how a man interacts with a woman, or how a man interacts, let's say, with all women, is going to be different than how a man interacts with his wife. And so distinction of sexes matter. There's honor and there's respect that is to be given there. This is so, so important, and vice versa. So yes, in the church, we are not Jew or Gentile. We are not bond or free. We are not poor or rich. We are not male or female. We understand what Paul is saying that. But what people have taken that to mean is it blurs everything and we're all the same and we can do whatever and live however and treat one another. No, you don't do that. God... Otherwise, you are making the purpose of God's creation of no effect. God didn't make a mistake. God didn't mess up. He didn't just create male and female for the Old Testament. There's a reason why he did that. And there's a role to play. And there's there's things that you are still male, you are still male. And, And female, you are still female. And how you interact with other females and other males matters. All of that matters. All of those things are contingent. We spent a long time in our origin series. Specifically, if you want to go back, I believe it's on the podcast and YouTube, part six, seven, and eight. We dealt with humanity from chapter two, the creation of humanity, mostly chapter two, some of chapter one. Humanity is created with gender distinctions, differing roles and responsibilities, yet interdependency and relationship in marriage, covenant, sexuality, and family with human natures of dignity, sanctity, and community. We spent three weeks talking through all of those things. There is a reason why gender distinction is under attack more than ever before in our world. Hear me. And this is what Paul was addressing. The The greatest, absolutely most fundamental, deepest way that you can rebel against God is in rejecting how he created you. Now, that's not, that's not a sin that's beyond saving. That's not a sin that, that you, if, if, if that's you or, or, or you know somebody like that, they just, they just need God. They just need the Holy Ghost. And God can save people from that, as he did in Corinth. We'll see, in Corinth. He did in Corinth. That was their testimony. That was their witness. But... That rebellion is so baseline. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm a man. God created me a man, but I'm going to lie, or I'm going to steal, or I'm going to do something else, but I'm still acknowledging that God created me as such. But at that fundamental, if I really want to hate God, if I really want to rebel against God, I'm going to reject the very idea of what God made me. And that's where we're at today. It is, it is a rebellion, a sin as of witchcraft. 
And we're seeing that today. And there are a lot of, quote unquote, let's say innocent people out there that have no spiritual defense. When you're living your life and you have no word of God in you, they are falling prey to the lies of the world. You heard me preach about the Laodicean lies. Well, there's a lot of other lies out there. And people in the world are trying things because they're just following after a lie. And this is absolutely, you know, ludicrous that you think the arrogance that you think that you can change what God's spoken to existence of who you are. And so Paul's appeal in chapter 11, that's why, that's why it's dangerous when you take any passage of Scripture and throw it out and say, we don't understand it, so we're not going to read it in our churches. Well, you follow the line of the churches that have taken this chapter out of their annual scripture reading. And I'll show you churches that are endorsing gender dysphobia, gender confusion. You better stay in the word. Let God be true and every man a liar. So at the most fundamental place... They reject that. In Deuteronomy, the distinction of sexes is so paramount that in the Levitical law, or the, or the Mosaic law, rather, that he gives, the very clothes that they wore must reflect that distinction. Deuteronomy 22 and 5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. So in Deuteronomy, I'll tell you how sick the world is today. In Deuteronomy, God tells his people, he says, distinction of sexes is so important, so paramount. A man should not wear what a woman wears, and a woman should not wear what a man wears. Well, today, we've dispensed with the wearing of clothes. You dispense with the wearing of clothes, it's going to testify whether you're male or female. So now that's not enough. Because in your rebellion, you can't just rebel against that. The spirit of this world says, we'll go farther. We'll get our own doctors. We'll get our own surgeons. And we'll mutilate our own bodies. To the dishonor of God. Think of how far, how sick that is. And then, and then we'll impose it on children. We'll force it on them. Did you hear about the teacher that just got dismissed in our own state here in Hayworth, Illinois? Small little town. Brought in a book. This was just a couple weeks ago. Brought in a book. It was a pro-LGBTQ book teaching their students, junior hires, how to use, um, and we got kids in the room, how to use uh, the most lewd apps that are available was being taught in the school, and uh, they called an emergency uh, school board meeting. They let them go. And the article that I read, the news article that I read about it, paints that teacher as a victim. If you think that we've seen anything, we haven't seen nothing yet. And it's only going to get worse in our world. Our culture's only going to get worse. But don't be afraid and do not fear. 
Because God is just, God is sovereign, and he's going to protect you. God hath not given us a spirit of fear. And if God could keep in a lewd pagan civilization such as Babylon and Media Persia, in Babylon where they prostituted every, every woman had to be prostituted before she was eligible for marriage. And in that civilization... God kept an Esther. And you read the story of Esther. The significant thing about Esther was two things. Number one, Esther was a virgin. There's still virgins in Babylon. I don't think you heard me. There's still virgins in Babylon. You can live for God in Babylon. And you don't have to be afraid for your children, moms. I know it's horrible. I know it's awful, dads. I know, but you pray over your kids. You pray over them. God will protect them. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We've used that verse too often as a superpower. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. This is my superpower. I can get through my dray. All this stuff. No, 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 no. The early church, you had to use it (laughs) as a survival mode. (laughs) God's going to protect you and God's going to keep you. And you don't have to be afraid. Don't, don't, just turn the news off. Don't matter. I can tell you how dark the world is. I don't even have to watch the news. Satan's buying toothpaste. I can tell you that right now. I didn't even know that, but he's doing it. But you don't be afraid. So it matters. What's important is I want to get in the divine order. I want to be, I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to do what God wants me to do. Now, I may not understand everything, but I'm going to do everything I can to figure this out. And so that's why we're digging through this here, going verse by verse. So men, it was, it was an abomination. Men were not allowed to dress like women, and women were not adre- allowed to dress like men. All right, so your action, your posture in public worship and life matters. All right, so we'll come back uh, next time we come back, because I've taken too long. I went really slow tonight, but I'm trying to establish... I want to walk through this. I may take three weeks to get through this. I don't care. It's all right. Because the word is powerful and it's rich. And we've got it. We've got it. It's okay to come to church. I know. I love to come to church. Holy Ghost moving. I love to shout and dance and worship and all that stuff. But it's okay to sometimes come in and pause. Push everything else out. And just meditate on the word. And the word builds us up. The word edifies us. The word strengthens us. So I want we got to have the main point, the main point before we can argue over the technicalities of what's being said and not said or what I have to do or don't do. So be careful when you approach the scripture, when you come to chapter 11 and you approach the scripture, and you say, well, I don't want to do that or I don't believe that or I don't understand that or whatever. I'm just not going to pay attention to that. Well, make sure you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Because I, I, I want, proverbially speaking, you know, I want to I want to know, God, I, I want to be right. I want to be I want to be what you want me to be. Hallelujah. And the church said, Amen. 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 Do you love the Word of God? Amen. I love the Word of God. I'll I'll be honest with you when I tell you, sometimes I don't don't understand everything, but some of these things just jump out of the page here and grab our attention and grab our heart. And uh, we got to pay attention to what God's God's speaking for us because this has implication on our heart, on our hearts and on our eternity.